I have quite probably taken more nitrous, at least in whippet form, than anyone else alive, so I feel compelled to share with all of you my experience. Excessive nitrous oxide abuse can cause permanent irreversible brain damage. I am patient zero, so please, everyone, listen to this all the way. If I had been fortunate enough to read what I am about to write 30 years ago, my life would be very, very different. I could just post the facts, but if you will walk with me through my life, you need never run the risk of having what happened to me happen to you. If you are a serious nitrous user, listening to this could help save your life. It's going to be quite long, but it is important to me to paint the whole picture. I also hope that it might prove entertaining, and some of you might recognize yourselves in the narrative. And those who feel a sympathy with my feelings, those who relate to my expression and understanding, those who think yes, yes, are the ones who need to listen to this the most, as you are in the greatest danger, or could be, if you are not careful. I am being honest about some stuff that I have hidden from others all my life. Some of it is quite embarrassing, but I choose to share the humorous aspect with you all. I can't be the only lunatic in this world. This is not an anti-nitrous post. This is information that has only recently become available. Personally, I wish our atmosphere was oxygen and nitrous oxide instead of oxygen and nitrogen. So without further ado... The tale begins in the dentist chair. I was nine years old. I had never taken any drugs and was not looking to at the time. But I had a phobia about dental work and the new dentist told me that he would give me laughing gas and it would remove my fear. So he attached the mask to my nose and told me to breathe normally. After about 20 seconds, I began to feel a tingle, quite pleasant, which was getting stronger with each passing second. The dentist asked me if I could feel the gas yet and a drug addict was born. I told him no, I don't feel anything, so he turned it up. By now, I was really starting to feel amazing. It was fantastic, but it was more than just tingles and physical well-being. Even though I was only nine, I started seeing patterns in everything. A deeper connection, set of connections, a lattice that embraced reality, but which had a meaning, a message, beneath the surface, something important. The dentist asked me once more if I felt the gas. I told him that it was starting to take effect, but was not very strong, despite the fact that I could barely string the sentence together, as I wanted him to turn it up even more, which he did. The last thing I remember hearing was the dentist saying to the nurse, this one likes to fly high. From that moment, I knew that I had to obtain nitrous oxide again at some point. I had imaginings of listening to music while feeling that way and how awesome it would be, and I was right, of course. It stuck there, in my memory, unforgettable. I was nine and I no longer saw the universe the way that I had before. Jump ahead 11 years. I'm 20, and I found acid about six months earlier. I'm in Amsterdam, having left South Africa to avoid military service. I'm a musician and making a living playing street music. We're on acid all the time, taking larger and larger doses each time. It's classic. I'm the Messiah, and I'm going to save the world by turning everyone onto LSD. I'm Ken Casey. I'm Ram Das. I'm Neil Cassidy driving the bus to the next acid test. I'm on a mission. I have found the ultimate truth, and I believe that I have the ability to express it. It's straight out of the electric Kool-Aid acid test. I am the merry prankster, doing ever-increasing doses of LSD because I believe that there is a reality behind this one, and I'm going to evolve and become a transformed being, a metamorphosized, evolutionized, mental telepathical guru. 
I even have a following. There are five of us, and I'm the leader. I'm the fucking chosen one. This is why I'm alive. This is why I exist. I am the new messiah. It's funny looking back on it now. A bit embarrassing. Okay, a lot. And I've never told anyone about this before. Like who would admit this shit? But it's important to paint the whole picture. But LSD is not a beast to be tamed. Oh, I believed that I was in control of the acid, that I held the reins. I had become its master and its servant, but I was treating it disrespectfully, and when you do that, the acid inevitably turns around and slaps you down a peg or two. In my case, it was all the way down from my lofty delusions of grandeur to a smear on the roadside. A new acid had come out, called simply Mandala. The dealer told me that it was not commercial acid, a bit stronger, and to boot, a half a hit was a hole. I had been dropping between 5 and 10 at a time, and I did not assume that this half hit of new acid was going to top my multiple ingestions from the weeks before. But I learned that day that what I had been taking was not truly LSD, but a pale shadow of what real LSD is. All my research, all my dosing, nothing had prepared me for what happened. It was phenomenal acid. I had never seen such colors, and it warped dimensions that I did not recognize anything around me. It was too much for downtown Amsterdam, so we all jumped on a tram, laughing uncontrollably all the way home. Once home, it was even stronger, having really kicked in. I made a big hashish pipe and took a huge hit of really good Afghan hash. And then, I completely lost my mind. I had to reconstruct it all afterward, with the help of my friends. There was a huge flash, and reality had shattered, literally. It was as though everything I'd been seeing was made of glass, like a mirror, and the hashish exploded the acid so hard and fast that I suffered a psychotic break. More to the point. From one moment to the next, I had total amnesia. I was with my closest friends, a girl who had come over to Europe with me who was like my sister. I had known them all for years, but I recognized no one. And I did not know who I was or where I was, and I don't mean which town, I mean which universe. I was a total blank, wiped clean, nothing left. I realized that I was bleeding. In my throat, it had turned to glass and shattered. Blood was everywhere and my life started slipping away. I collapsed slowly to the floor and died. However, a while later I appeared to be conscious. So this was it. I was dead. This must then be the afterlife. A man walked up to me and looked at me curiously and then said, Are you okay? But what I heard was, Are you okay? In a kind of deep twilight zone surrealism. Who was this person? If I was dead, perhaps he was me, a reflection of me, on the other side of the shattered mirror that was reality. So I said, Who are you? And he said to me, You know who I am. Which I heard in a big boomy voice as, You know who I am. The poor guy, he didn't have a clue what was going on. None of them had actually realized yet that I had quite literally lost my mind. All of it. So I deduced that if he were me, a kind of afterlife version, that we would have the same mother as I. So in an attempt to confirm this, I asked him, Who is your mother? To which he replied, You know who my mother is. Which I heard as, Okay, you get the picture. I treated LSD as though it was something that I actually had control over, that I was bigger than acid, that I was beyond a bad trip. I will end this part of the tale of this day here, but know that it took the rest of the day to reconstruct my basic ego, just knowing who and where I was.
I still felt broken glass in my throat from where it had shattered when the mirror shattered. I could no longer sing. When I tried, I was overwhelmed by an abject terror and shut down. It was weeks before I could sing again, which I needed to do to survive, and I continued to have terrifying flashbacks for the next six months. This was the most phenomenally life-changing experience of my entire life. I was afraid, afraid to do acid. I had been so humbled, so beaten, so kicked in the teeth. Any normal person would have just said, that's it, never again, but I could not do that. Live in fear the rest of my life because I had experienced this overwhelming and incomprehensible annihilation of ego. I had to face my fear. I had to get back in the driver's seat. I had to understand what had happened in order to be whole again. And there was born a true and devout acid head for life still going strong. I needed to understand myself, how my brain worked, and LSD was the tool that had both damaged and repaired me. The experience kind of put a crimp in my plan to save the world, as I realized that it was completely unethical to turn anyone on unless they are truly desired to be turned on. It was a full year before in midwinter, Christmas time in Konstanz, Germany, that I did my next truly superb LSD. Only this one was as soft as the other one had been hard. And finally, utterly high, I looked in the mirror and was no longer afraid. I finally had all of my mind back and my fear was gone, but my respect has never faltered. And now, the long-awaited return to the topic of nitrous oxide. Who would have thought, who would have guessed, that nitrous oxide, laughing gas, was used to make whipped cream? I found out from a young freaksoid heroin junkie in Germany that whippets were nitrous. Finally. The nine-year-old boy in me shouted in glee. I knew it. I knew I would find it again. And this time, I was going to really get to know it. I remember buying the whipped cream machine and a box of cartridges. I remember my total excitement, my fear of disappointment. What if he was wrong? I wound in the first cartridge, neglecting of course to add the cream. I hyperventilated for a minute, breathed all the way out, and inhaled the entire contents. Within five to 10 seconds, I recognized the feeling. My inside screamed in glee, and for the next minute my world was perfect. It was exactly as I had remembered it, only more so. This is my encapsulated life story, so I have to jump to pivotal moments if I'm going to keep your attention. Let's just say that over the course of the next year, I did hundreds of boxes of nitrous, maybe a thousand. And the more I explored the nitrous reality, the more sense it made, of everything. I was starting to feel that I understood the intrinsic nature of the universe, not just in the sense of thoughts, but in perceptions, understandings. There were times, and I am sure that most of you can relate, when I felt that for a moment I truly understood the universe as it really was, and it was so simple and funny, fucking hilarious. I would experience the moment and crack up laughing uncontrollably because I understood the core of the essence of God, the universe, matter, gravity, light energy, and quanta. The profundity of nitrous is fleeting, and after the epiphany it fades so quickly that one can't quite remember what it was that one was thinking, and why it was so funny. This, I found to be the curse of nitrous, to have this understanding, so plain and simple, even expressible in mere words, if I could find them, or once found if I could not lose them. How, I wondered, can we extend this experience? Make it come down slower so that it would be possible to bring back some of this universal intrinsic truth to the real world. On a beautiful summer's day of 1982, 
I discovered the chemical synergy that I have affectionately referred to for the last 30 years as gasid, as in gas and acid. And from that moment, my life changed almost as profoundly as the day I lost my mind, because it was the day that I found my answers, all of them. I had done some acid, not a lot, maybe half a hit. I was still very cautious, after my annihilation a year earlier, and the theory was twofold. If I did nitrous right at the end of an acid trip, like 8 hours into it, when everything had resolved on the acidic level, perhaps A, the nitrous would boost the strength of the acid to give me a momentary high that was like 5 or 10 hits of really good acid, and B, that perhaps the acid would help to extend the duration of the nitrous and give me a little more time to try and bring back some of the deeper essence of the experience. I was extremely careful. I'd lost my mind once already, and I was not keen on a second round. My first hit was minuscule. There was a very slight shift in my perceptions. I took a little more and felt the nitrous very vaguely, but in a way like never before, and in a good way like I had never imagined. By the time I was on the last cartridge, I took the entire thing, and I experienced for the first time in my life, the holy realm that is gassed. The world that is gassed is a story unto itself with so many facets. I'm not going to try and define any of the experiences right now, too much of a tangent. I became a student of gassed. I had found what was, at least for me, the key that unlocks the doors to everything, and more importantly, it was the most exquisite experience that can be. It is heaven to me, a perfect state of being, the thing that we all at the core wish to experience, even once. I had found the key, a gateway, a wormhole to what has for me become not so much a drug synergy as an actual place. I devoted my life to this faith of mine, and my quest was to bring back some of these truths, and to find a way to share them with others, which I did in fact accomplish. I have kind of built an environment that almost guarantees arriving at this place. There's technology involved. It's all very complicated. But this post is not about gasid. It's about nitrous and the risks. Over the next 12 years, I did gasid about 500 times. And we're talking full-blown 4-hour experiences with like 10 boxes of nitrous each time. It is my world, my reality, my guru, my god, and myself. I have no doubts, no hesitation, no lack of understanding, and it just got better all the time, as I learned to pilot this spaceship that I built over the course of those 12 years. I eventually left Europe and moved to Canada, got a new life and a new wife, and continued building and discovering. It was very hard at times, terribly lonely. From my perspective, I had found the answer, and what's more is I could pretty much prove it, and took a few select people on a trip around the universe but it was so lonely. All I wanted to do was share what I had found, but very few people knew about nitrous back then. I began to get adamant about finding proof, finding a way to bring back something significant enough that would make people take me seriously. I knew that if I told this all to a shrink that I would be labeled as a schizophrenic with delusions of grandeur, but I knew that all a doubter had to do was come for a ride and see for himself. They would find their own truth, not mine. Everyone has their own truth. All I had found was the medium in which to fairly reliably produce a very specific experience and to be able to return and continue the thought anytime. I was frustrated. My wife was not too supportive of this and I wanted her on my side. So I tried even harder to find some tangible evidence that the work that I was doing was valid. Telepathy, psychokinesis, some small evolutionary step that would demonstrate that what I was doing was valid and that I was not just another nutter who did too many psychedelics. 
This was the time that I had almost completed my spaceship. It was an entire room, with a driver's seat positioned in the middle. There were spinning wheels and stroboscopic lights, all synchronized to music. My own, of course, which was written specifically to induce certain types of trance using light and sound to guide the subject on a solid path. I was so close, but relations were getting strained with my wife, who thought that I was obsessed. She was right, of course. I was. And why not? This was the most important thing in my life. It was the one thing in which I truly had unshakable faith. I had to find some evidence of the validity. I needed support on this, not criticism. I at least deserved a chance to demonstrate it to someone else. To have the years that I had invested validated by another fearless soul who was willing to walk through the gates of heaven and be embraced lovingly by the universe. And now, we start to approach the moment of truth, the point, the reason that I have written everything that came before now. I am a scientist, not just a druggie. I don't just take drugs, I study them, I prepare myself, I am informed, I know the risks, I am careful. But this was before the internet. The only knowledge that existed was in books, and almost no one knew practically anything about nitrous. It had just slipped by, owing to the fact that it was legal, and a secret known by not a lot of people back then. According to Peter Stafford's Psychedelic Encyclopedia at the time, nitrous oxide was a perfectly safe drug. There were two, and only two dangers. The first rule was, don't breathe directly from a tank, you can freeze your lungs. And the second rule was, don't tie a mask to your face, because if you fall unconscious, you will eventually die from lack of oxygen. That was it. Other than that, it was safe. They give it to kids for fuck's sake. I don't know exactly when it went from genuine psychoscientific spiritual research to addiction, but it was marked by the fact that I started doing nitrous without doing acid. I know myself. I am an obsessive raging fucking maniac when it comes to drugs. I have no breaks. So I made a deal with myself many years before, after doing way too much nitrous for way too long and having spent a small fortune on it, that I would only do nitrous if I had done acid. I tried to keep it to once a month, but not always. I kept it at least to once a week, but I was so intent on finding my proof, quickly, that I made an exception, just once, then again, and again, and again. I really couldn't afford it, and I knew my wife would be pissed at me for wasting money, so I kept it to myself. After all, I was almost there. Twelve years of exploration and design was finally going to come to fruition. I almost understood it all. I was so close, and the nitrous would run out, and I would go to the store and get more, and then be racked with guilt over it. And suddenly, I realized that I was addicted to nitrous oxide. They had said nothing about addiction in the books, but I had been doing it every day for about six weeks, maybe more, and I had been doing it excessively before it became daily. And when it ran out, I just could not cope. This was not a drug withdrawal like an opiate. This was madness incarnate. I could not stand being in my body. It was blindingly intense and wouldn't go away. The next weeks are only a vague memory with scattered images and vague recollections. I could not afford to keep taking the nitrous, but I could not survive stopping. I wanted to call out for help, but who the fuck would I talk to? There was no internet. Very few people knew about the recreational legality of nitrous. I felt so stupid. How do I even begin to explain to someone that I inhaled the whipped cream charges? They'd probably lock me up. So I had to stretch the nitrous I had, breathe very, very little in between, hold my breath for minutes at a time, not breathe as much as possible. I was losing it. I knew that. I was starting to go crazy, even by my own standards. 
and those of you who have actually listened this far can probably understand that I am a rather bizarre individual. I don't remember much of the last weeks. I felt like I was dying, slowly. My thoughts were scrambled. There were dark patches in my consciousness. At one point, I thought I might have been possessed. I had gone from what I considered to be a self-respecting scientist of the wackiest of varieties to a fucking loony. I was lost. I was doing a gig on Vancouver Island, sitting on the beach doing nitrous all day long in tiny little gasps. The first night I noticed that I'd lost the feeling in the tips of my fingers on my right hand. The next day, my left hand. By the time I got home, my hands and feet were numb. Two days later, my entire body had no sensation and I had completely lost my motor control. Then I was in the hospital and the year that followed never became cemented in memory. People, please pay attention. This is not a well-known fact. Not a lot of people have screwed up quite as badly as I did and it's never been made public in a big way. The effect of nitrous oxide is cumulative. If I remove the mental and psychological and emotional horror that followed, I'll tell you that the physical sensations finally returned, as did my motor control. But the problem is that I had damaged my brain, and the signals that should have just reported to my cerebellum that I was in fact alive and moving were mistranslated by my brain as pain signals. In short, when my feeling returned, I was in unbearable pain, everywhere, non-stop, every freaking day of my life for the last 14 years. I nearly committed suicide so many times, not because of depression or sadness, but because I simply could not imagine waking up every day to this, suffering, and nothing to be done about it, because it is not physical as such, it's neuropathic pain, and it did not heal, and there is no treatment. I have spent 14 years wishing to God that the internet had been around just a little earlier, because once it arrived, I had found another person who had done what I had done, and who had suffered identical damage. I only found this two years after the fact. I could describe my suffering over the last 14 years, but I hope that I have successfully illustrated my point through this post. Nitrous is amazing. Gas it is everything that I have said it is times a million. There was nothing wrong with my perceptions, only my obsession, and total lack of self-restraint. I had my cake, and I was eating it, and I could have continued to privy to what I consider to be the best chemically induced experience that there is. I found heaven, and I was such a glutton that I destroyed it through my greed. I still believe absolutely in nitrous, and particularly gasid. It is simply the best, nothing is better, not even love. I am almost done, there are so many aspects of the story that I left out, because we're talking 15 odd years, hundreds, maybe thousands of cases of nitrous and about 750 hits of acid. All I wanted to do was share it with someone else. I have told only a handful of people about this, and I have never told the whole story at once. If even one of you is listening to this, ran the risk of making my mistake, and if this post at some future point helps to prevent that eventuality from becoming a reality, then exposing myself in this way will have been worth it. Please friends, be careful. If you ever find heaven, take care of it. I prepared a solution of what I thought was going to be 500 micrograms of 25C NBOME, or as I like to call it, BOOM, on Saturday morning in preparation for the next day. I had what was meant to be 5 milligrams, and upon pouring it into another vial, measured it to be 4.5 milligrams, so I figured I had 500 micrograms left in the other vial. 
There was barely anything in the other vial, so it seemed fair enough to presume that there was only 500 micrograms. Obviously, this was stupid, as presumption is the mother of all fuck-ups, but never mind. I woke up on the Sunday and dropped the solution up my nose, half in each nostril, at midday. I instantly noticed a slight burning and a strong taste which I was not expecting at all from such a small amount of material. This instantly made me realize it must be much more. It started to take hold in less than a minute. The kitchen started to swirl around. Everything became very colorful, but the intensity increased exponentially. It became way more intense than I had expected very, very quickly. Panic started to take hold, and no matter what I did, I could not shake it off. I tried to reassure myself and try to calm down, but as my world started to become more and more chaotic, and as I started to completely lose myself, I found this impossible to do. The body high was very strong, somewhat like a high dose of 5-MeO-DIPT, but not as unbearable. It had a 2-CT2 feel about it, but much stronger. Within 15 minutes, I started to lose the plot. I stumbled upstairs and stood looking into the mirror in the bathroom, panic building and visuals intensifying. I went into the bedroom where my girlfriend was still asleep to tell her what was happening. However, I was unable to speak, but could only convey my increasing dread by contorted facial expressions and manic hand gestures. I then realized I really needed to not freak her out, as I knew she would start to worry if she realized I was out of my depth. Unfortunately, it was not within my ability to do this. I stumbled away to the safety of the bathroom. I was unsure whether she was worried or not. She asked how it felt and what I was seeing, but I couldn't answer. Then the first problematic situation arose. I felt like I was pissing myself, which is a fairly common thing for some people on psychedelics. I stood there feeling ashamed and embarrassed, but not really sure whether I was or not. I sat on the edge of the bath trying to figure out what the fuck was going on. I suddenly remembered her sister was coming over to pick something up, and for some reason I thought she was already there. I then got it into my head that I had to retain my dignity and composure. I sat trying to act like nothing was going on, then trying to act all posh and polite. This part of the trip seemed so stupid now, but it was like I was trying to be an aristocratic woman, trying to be all posh, but at the same time thinking I was pissing everywhere. I got caught in the first thought loop of the trip, trying to act okay, trying to grip onto what was actually happening, trying to calm myself down and doing separate things for each of these. Round and round my head and thoughts went, only to be interrupted by my girlfriend telling me to come and lie down in the bed. The visuals by this point were similar to a couple of hours into a 500 microgram LSD trip, morphing, energy lines, rainbows of color, crazy patterns everywhere, but coupled with a very strong body trip. Sensory hallucinations were as strong as the visual ones. I got into the bedroom and laid down. Unbeknownst to me, I would not be able to leave that bed for the next three hours. I laid down awash with color and still fighting the ever-present dread and panic. My girlfriend tried to reassure me, but by this point, I was losing my sense of self, my ego. Reality as I knew and loved was being ripped to pieces. I got caught in another loop trying to work out whether I was in danger or not. I was trying to work out if I was going to get worse, if I was doing permanent damage, if I was going to feel like this forever, and the same time as trying to work out if I was inadvertently giving myself more. 
I kept thinking I might be accidentally pouring more all over myself, and as I tried to ask my girlfriend, my thoughts would go somewhere else, then somewhere else again, then loop back around to the same question. This went on for quite a while until the visuals ramped up. The bedroom became like a lavish tent, decked out on cushions, drapes, and silk. This part of the trip was okay to deal with. It felt as if I was at a festival and that everything was in fact as it should be. This did not last very long though. Every time my girlfriend laughed, I could not work out whether she was laughing at me because I was acting funny, laughing at me because this was all some big joke or conspiracy against me, or laughing to reassure me everything was going to be okay. Her sister then came around and she told me to not make any noise as she didn't want her to know I was fucked up. Unfortunately, I began to think things were going drastically downhill for me, maybe even life-threatening. I thought my girlfriend was arranging an ambulance to come and get me, and so started the next loop. I looked around the room trying to again work out what was really happening. Certain thoughts would bring me to the conclusion I was indeed about to be taken away, but then others squashed these thoughts with others, and no matter how hard I tried, I just couldn't figure it out. I could feel my thoughts circling and struggled to stop the ever-repeating loop. I thought I should just ask my girlfriend if I was in any danger, but then thought I shouldn't as it might worry her. So I decided I needed to figure it out myself, but realized I really hadn't read much about this, but came to the conclusion I was probably going to be okay. I tried to evaluate things like breathing and heart rate. I started to imagine feeling inside my own bones, but then started to think I was accidentally pouring more of the drug over me. Then I would get back to the beginning where I would ask my girlfriend if I was okay, and so it repeated. This then got more complex as external watchers seemed to form and people either got frustrated with me, found it funny, or sympathized. It branched out further to where extra parts of the loop formed in, which would end up with people saying things or making me think things that would set in motion some sort of punchline, which visually was making me think of something horrible. It was pictures in conjunction with words that somehow always brought me to a sequence that was inescapable. No matter what I tried to think, I would always get swept into the loop. I tried loads of mental tricks to try to avoid ending up at the nasty end. This then started to create a very large and complex multi-layered sequence which repeated over and over, adding a single extra thought step in place. Now the thought loop became the key to trying to figure out whether I was in danger, trying to reach the end which I thought would tell me, but also fighting to stay away from the nasty imagery. People could now see me thinking this process, and it quickly became followed worldwide. It was as if people were cheering me on to go further and further, as if it was a world record attempt. But at the same time, the whole thing was a joke against me, but also something I tried to fight. As every time the sequence started, things got worse, and the bad parts of the trip started showing. It was like people's lives were being ruined as I continued. I now thought people in the house's opposite were somehow watching, which became a repeating theme. As I went through my loop, it began to get more complex, adding in extra parts which I had to remember. As I went around, I could hear people laughing as I reached certain points as if they had been watching for weeks as I had been doing this and could predict my next actions. Time distortion was insane over the trip. It felt like I had been through several years. At the same time as this, there was another strand where I felt like there was a massive practical joke being played on me in several ways. One was some sort of game which I can't quite remember. Another was that people were purposefully saying things so that my mind would go to disgusting images. Word and picture loops kept coming back to the same horrible image. It was like people were all tricking me. Then things started to get really, really nasty. 
The thoughts in which the loop seemed to be wrecking people's lives were interlaced with the thoughts that somehow I was doing something so terrible, so humiliating and disgusting that the whole world thought I was a joke and that I didn't deserve to live. I was completely dissociated and out of the room. I was on the ground outside being pelted with rubbish by hundreds of people. There were ambulances, police cars, and my dad all whirling around. This image remained for a long time. However, after a while, it was as if people understood. And while some still hated me, others were rooting me on to make it through the other side of this trip. I had lots of different voices in my head. At first, I could hear my girlfriend saying she hated me and would never have sex with me again. But then it started to change, saying if I made it through this and continued going, she would love me even more. By this point, I don't think she was even in the house. I was now starting to get myself back. Images of really random stuff kept flying through me and transposing over everything, but I was more in control. It was as if I now just had to ride it out. The loop came back, but I could now watch and be amused by it. At some point, she had called one of my friends to come look after me as she was off to work. I vaguely remember coming downstairs, and then he was there. I then was sort of sober enough to try to explain my trip to him, although I was still tripping my nuts off. The loop I had been remembering started to make sense to me. It turned out to be a giant loop lasting years and years and years that I had been running through my whole life. Old things people had said to me seemed to become punchlines that now only made sense. Certain images also seemed to now become really significant. The loop then played out as I was trying to explain the trip to my friend. As he said certain things, I felt like I knew he was going to say them in order to make me say something back. I thought he said something like, I had heard it was this good, but I had to see it for myself, as if me repeating the sequence was known by everyone, but he had only heard about it. Images rolled across the room, walls disappeared, whole sequences were transposed over myself and my surroundings. Things started to get much better, it was now incredibly fun and not scary at all. I continued tripping at a much more civilized level for the next few hours. I did some ketamine, smoked some weed, then went for a walk, got some more ketamine, and drank some cider. I was now in the realm of pretty colors, but nothing else. I was absolutely exhausted. Surprisingly, I didn't feel sick or puke once during the trip. I would say it is easily the strongest psychedelic I have ever done. The come up was way too fast and the peak much too strong. Although had I been expecting it, and had I simply laid in bed and rode the storm, it probably wouldn't have been so traumatic. Having said that, looking back, it was one hell of a ride and hasn't put me off psychedelics or trying new drugs one bit. I will probably not take it again, but only because I know it will never be as insane as this time. Maybe I will one day, but for now I am happy looking back at that crazy day and smiling to myself. I have forgotten a lot of it, and there is a lot that is impossible to explain. But to summarize, it was a mixture of being absolutely terrified and completely blown away. I have never had such a strong degree of ego loss and have never fully dissociated except with things like ketamine or DXM. There were also issues of worrying about whether I was breathing enough and keeping hydrated enough, which I sometimes get, although I was so far gone these seemed like very minor things. When I had come down enough to properly drink a glass of water, it was an incredible feeling of relief and gratefulness. This event happened a few months ago at the time of writing this. 
It is the report of the time where I nearly died from a bad pill and had numerous side effects for months afterward. This was one of the worst experiences of my life, yet very profound in its impacts now. Be careful when taking drugs. If you stay till the end, you'll see why I should have been far more careful. Backstory prior to the experience. This experience happened sometime in March 2017, just at the end of winter. I was a young kid at 15 years of age, new to substances that had psychoactive effects, yet I already had my mind set out on a mission to explore the limits of the realm of consciousness, the goal being to try DMT to challenge my nihilistic viewpoints of the entire world and concept of life. Ecstasy was meant to be a stepping stone to get there and at the time would be only the second drug I had ever consumed, the first being weed, in which I had only started using the previous December, so the whole process was certainly rushed. Pre-consumption. Me and two friends, we'll call them M and L, were interested in trying MDMA and planned on taking some when me, them, and some other friends came around my house for the night. Finding the right dealer took a while, but my usual plug ended up telling me that he could sell me pills, but no powdered MDMA. I believed this to be fine, as prior to the experience, I had been treating the substances as the same during all my research of the substance. I ended up buying two pills, as it was all I could get, but my research was lacking, and I had no idea what to look out for in pills of E, to check if it was all good, etc. Research was lacking in general, the pills were red bricks and were incredibly hard and tough to break apart. The day came and we decided to first meet some friends at the park to smoke some dank and drink a lot of vodka. Me, M, L, and two other friends named J and F headed back to my house. But after J had stated some dangers of bad pills, M and L tapped out of taking some of the E. However, I believe the chance of a bad pill would still be very unlikely and I needed to feel this insane happiness and take myself closer to curing my nihilistic view on life. Fuck it, I said, and decided I would take it anyway. The experience. At 1am, I thought the alcohol was out of my system enough so that I could take the E and have it kick in after the alcohol would have had the potential to dehydrate me, a very rough and uncalculated assumption. Some people were starting to fall asleep due to the weed and me and F were the only ones still moving about and agreed that I should go for it. Note, the following effects I believe are due to the pill being very bad and not actual MDMA, although I can never be certain. I first started with just a quarter of the pill, just to test for any bad reactions. After a half an hour, I took another quarter, barely containing my nerves and excitement. Nothing had happened yet. After an hour and a half passed, I was still feeling nothing, so I gobbled up the rest of the pill hoping I would actually feel something. Now, as soon as the pill was down my throat, it hit me like a freight train. I was sitting on my floor and was immediately swept away by the intensity, which I hear is uncommon on ecstasy for such a rapid come up. There wasn't even a come up really, just a very warm feeling in my neck, like electricity sparking through my spine for a few minutes before being catapulted from my normal mind state. As I sat on my floor, a concerned brief thought of, holy shit, this is only the first dose, entered my thoughts before being quickly swept away by the overwhelming sense of euphoria. I felt amazing, the most incredible feeling ever, barely able to move. Expressions of intense pleasure stricken across my face. I have memories of about two minutes of my experience being this joyful before it goes hazy 
and then hellish. After a few minutes, I was passed out on my floor. The turning point. I awake on my floor, uncertain of the time that has passed, but I'm lying down with my headphones still on, not playing anything. F is falling asleep, assuming I had just been listening to music. I drift back into consciousness and open my eyes. Two things then terrified me to a state of grief and worry I have never experienced again in my life. As I drift back in, there is a pain in my gut, a pain so grueling and intense and disgusting I can barely recall it, a feeling like my intestines and gut were dissolving inside me. I look at F and the whole room is shaking. Due to my poor research, I was unaware of the eye twitching side effect. However, after discussing these eye shakes with others, they sound far more intense. These eye shakes started happening uncontrollably and so fast that it was impossible to make out anything in the room. I shake F's leg and he wakes up and I look at him with my eyes spazzing out like mad all the way side to side 40 times a second for 10 seconds before a 1 second break. The eye shakes were happening side to side, however for me, the whole world was moving up and down which was slightly disturbing. This shit freaked me the fuck out and F wakes up Jay and they look at me discussing what to do. F is a great guy but was laughing uncontrollably. Jay looks scared shitless. I watched them talk yet couldn't hear a word spoken. The whole world had gone silent. Battling death. Here's where the trip gets weird, very weird. Without thinking, I crawled out onto my balcony, but what is odd is the fact I hadn't registered the last two minutes at all in my head. I had no idea about my eye shakes and couldn't register the gut pain. It was as if my body was reacting to the stimuli, causing me to be terrified, yet my ego was so disassociated that I was unaware that anything was wrong, or perhaps I was just too euphoric still. Almost like primal instinct, I shove my fist into my throat without a second's hesitation and throw up. That was the precise moment in which I snapped back to reality, realizing exactly what was going on and suddenly feeling a lot less fucked up. This was real. I was horrified, fully aware of the pain now and aware that I was in serious danger of dying. I forced myself to throw up again. M is now awake. L won't wake up when F tries. My friends don't call an ambulance, being afraid of the situation and the fact that my mom was sleeping upstairs. I didn't think this would be happening. Jay runs into the kitchen and brings me an apple as a placebo, telling me it'll make it go away. I eat it and it causes me to throw up more. Throwing up, mixed with the insane levels of adrenaline from realizing my own situation in the most surreal way imaginable, helps me hang on and fight. My friend keeps bringing me apples repeatedly, yet I only ever remember eating two. They bring me orange juice and I drink two liters of it, but only remember taking a gulp and deciding it didn't help. Due to the commotion, my mom comes down the stairs and out to the balcony. Unaware of what was going on, she screams at me to get inside and drags me through the doors as I stare up at her with eyes wider than I can physically force them to go, still shaking. As I stared up at her pulling me in, I realized she had no face at all. She looked exactly like Slenderman, her face melting off constantly. She leaves and I look up to the wall of my living room. Across the whole wall is an image of a supply drop from the game Call of Duty Black Ops 3. They come and go across the wall, opening up as they do. However, 
Instead of containing the usual cosmetics for the game, they are instead Snapchat stories from people I know at school. Each of them a black image captioned, Pray for Josh, with an emoji of interlocking fingers, over and over and over again. I was convinced that these were entirely real, and people were posting this on Snapchat at 4am, within minutes of me starting to die. I was so convinced that when I later checked Snapchat that night to find no one had posted it, I was confused beyond belief. And at that stage, I wasn't even as out of my mind anymore. But anyways, back to the story. I'm starting to feel like I'm not going to die anymore. And although still fucked up, my mental state felt pretty normal now due to the insane levels of adrenaline. My memory is missing parts, but now that it's four, I'm pretty sure I'm going to live. My friends start trying to sleep. I'm forever grateful for them for what they did that night. I truly believe they saved my life by inducing the vomit with the apples, so the apple became a metaphor for my lifeline and my savior. I asked for them to stay up and talk to me to keep me grounded, but they have been for ages, so they tell me to chill out to my music. The soundtrack of hell. I put on my music and shuffled a playlist I had, and what I was about to hear was the darkest, most hellish thing imaginable, causing shivers down my spine whenever I heard the songs I listened to for months after the experience. I have since experienced ego death on acid, along with various other intense experiences using substances and without them. Yet this was by far the most intense, strange, and reality-bending experience I've ever had. The three songs I remember listening to were as follows. Doom, Crosshairs, and King Ghidorah, The Fine Print, and Ma's Def, Auditorium. As I listened, I could recognize the song, yet the music sounded distorted and entirely different. The strangest bit, however, was the vocals. They came out clear enough for me to hear each word, however, the way they were strung together was so incredibly alien that none of the lines made any sense whatsoever, complete gibberish every second. I do not understand how this worked, but no matter what words I heard, there was no possible way I could have ever deemed it to make sense. It really felt like the whole world and my sense of reality had slipped away from me, and nothing could keep me grounded to a sense of what was real. The gibberish lines were so confusing and odd, yet the rapper sounded so natural in saying them that the cringe sent shivers across my body. What made it even stranger was the tone and rhythm of the words. It was all said in a monotone and monorhythmic way. The words coming out in the same pattern every line before the last syllable of each line was stretched out and given a pitch similar to that of someone saying, NOW, as a TV host. This tone caused some crazy closed eye visuals, as I could constantly see a cartoon version of the rapper MF Doom standing on a stage in a quiz show moving his mouth to the words before my perspective shifted to show the night sky and a giant balloon of an evil clown towering over the whole festival that the quiz show was at, over and over again. The second song talks about battling the rapper's enemies as if he were in medieval times, and the concept of a rap being about medieval times whilst not understanding that it was a metaphor was the most surreal thing ever and confused the shit out of me. The third song's chorus made it seem as though people were jumping around in my headphones talking right in my ear, left to right. It's impossible to fully describe, but the sheer weirdness of this music was ridiculous. Time passes and I'm feeling better. Ella's woken up and realizes what's happening due to me mopping up my sick on the balcony. He hugs me and it allows me to feel my heartbeat racing at 150 beats per minute even after hours have passed and I'm no longer feeling scared. 
I notice that I've been running my hand through my hair the whole time, pulling out hair from the front to relieve stress. It's impossible to sleep. My eyes are still naturally as wide as physically possible, and I'm not tired at all. I end up going on Snapchat and briefly put up a message on my story thanking JNF for saving me before taking it down upon realizing it made no sense and I didn't want people to know of this experience. When I discover the Pray For Josh Snapchat stories aren't actually posted by anyone at all, I'm confused beyond belief. I wait out the remainder of the night, which actually passed pretty fast. In the morning, two friends from the night before came around for breakfast. As we're sitting in my front room talking to them about what happened, I repeatedly trail off, staring to the distance unknowingly, not thinking about anything, and pulling my hair. This was a tick that lasted for around two months after the experience. The morning actually has me feeling very happy and refreshed, unlike any sort of come down. This is probably due to the feeling of beating death. I managed to sleep later on. PTSD and complete insanity. If you have made it this far, thank you for your time. What I'll touch upon now is the after effects of the pill which was deemed by a psychiatrist as likely to be PTSD, no diagnosis. It may be hard for me to recall every effect I had long term here, but I'll do my best. The first side effect that was apparent were certain tics that I had. I would constantly go blank in my mind and stare into the distance for around two minutes at a time, even if around other people. The experience was actually pushed from my mind relatively quickly, but due to the various flashbacks, I definitely hadn't gotten rid of it. I was just putting on a show where I tried to act normal. I wasn't normal. The concept of what ideas were sensible and realistic broke down completely. Within the first few days, I developed a belief that I was actually in a coma and needed to wake up. Every night when I fell asleep, I would hear people such as my family and friends talking to me, wishing me to get better, etc. Sometimes it felt so real that when I shut my eyes, it felt as though my mind was elevated upward so far that I reached the real world briefly and could even see the people sitting beside my bed. I remember exactly where my hospital bed was. For some reason, it was in the same building as the county building responsible for parking permits, etc. I have no idea why, but I believed I was in a hospital bed there. The nystagmus or eye twitches stayed present for a few weeks after the experience. A lot of the time, open-eye nystagmus was uncontrollable, and for even longer, every time I shut my eyes, they twitched inside the sockets, rubbing against my eyelids. It was hard to sleep. Most effects seemed to come in cycles of two weeks, lasting briefly then disappearing, and I briefly also had extreme paranoia. Another side effect was the inability to talk reasonably. Whenever I was in large groups of people, I would talk gibberish, similar to what I heard in my music, saying things that made completely no sense constantly, blabbering on like someone who was brain dead. Many friends did not like this and drifted away. I could barely ever string conversations together without muttering some complete gibberish. I would feel people put chips in my head, and the first time I experienced this, I teared up from realizing it didn't happen after how real it felt. Here's where I realized the side effects were serious. Years prior to the experience, I had a voice in my head that I would associate as the essence of all evil and greed. His voice came back, far stronger and louder. There would be moments where the dialogue in my head became extremely violent and angered, but it wasn't my voice, it was his. For a few days, different voices sounded off in my head telling me I was worthless, probably because I felt guilty about scarring the friends who had to save me and feeling so trampy due to it. 
It would get to the point where 14 different dialogues would happen inside my head, becoming so loud I couldn't hear any of my thoughts. These short episodes would result in me passing out wherever I was. On around day 4 of having this happen, it was the first time where the voice took full control. It was disturbing. My voice drowned out to the point where it was no longer there. Then it went quiet. It was just him, the essence of all evil, alone in my head. I'm lucky this mostly happened at night when I was alone because he would take full control of me and my body. He would message people on Snapchat, good friends of mine, telling them the most violent deeds he wished to inflict on them. I would be short-tempered and angry in the day, lashing out at people and even choking them. I realized this voice resonated from inside my physical biology, but in my mind, I couldn't have been further from being him. He was evil, literal evil, telling friends he wished them dead. Of course, this wasn't taken well. I don't blame anyone who was driven from me due to this happening. I was nuts. I was literally telling people how I would want to gouge their eyes out for no reason. It wasn't me trying to be edgy. It was a full-on persona in my head. He usually listened to death grips when he took control, turning my head into a cauldron of rage before it resulted in me eventually passing out. The third time it happened, I defeated him by creating a new persona in my head named Mini-Me, who sat on my shoulder. And when he tried to control him, it was a trap, and Mini-Me killed him, and I was safe. The next time it happened, he simply snapped Mini-Me's neck and took control of me anyway. It was insanity. I couldn't hear myself think. I started hallucinating during the day, seeing objects randomly arc upwards towards the ceiling before coming back down instantly. When I fell asleep, I would see Sauron from Lord of the Rings standing in the corner of my room. I heard people speak right behind me in my ear when no one was around. When he took control of me, he would write lyrics of the most unspeakable thing as notes for me to read, realizing it was me who wrote them. He would turn me into an evil genius and create the most complex designs and objects and aerodynamic packages for cars every time I went to try and sleep. Reality was shattered. I constantly felt as though I was in a simulation or a coma. I thought friends trying to talk to me on Snapchat were agents from the people running the simulation trying to figure out what I knew. I felt watched. I felt monitored. Nothing was real. I was truly all on my own for a while. It allowed me to think of the craziest ideas, some of them truly genius. I try to construct my ego into shapes to help thought flow. I needed help. I went to my GP and told them about my experiences. They referred me to a psychiatric center. I had weekly sessions over a span of around 5 months or so. They could be tough at times. After the sessions, I would talk to myself instead of thinking in my head, leaving my mind blank. I got better though. I've mended relations with my friends as best as I can, but with some, there are most likely still scars remaining. Around the same time, I also had a few other traumatic experiences that happened to me. I had a genuine and justified fear of being robbed and stabbed every day for a while afterwards, yet I feel most of these experiences were from the bad E. Be careful. It took me months to get better, and I am not the same now. LSD was actually part of what helped me get better, but taking drugs will never be the same again. Do research. Be careful. Make sure your mind is prepared. I'm 15. I'm lucky my experiences only cost me friendships rather than a whole lifestyle.
This will sound unbelievable to most, considering the dose I took, but this is my story for my first trip, scary as fuck, which happened last night. I've only ever smoked a few joints in my life between friends, and that was probably 15 plus years ago. I never really experienced a pronounced high, just maybe some giggles, feeling sleepy in the munchies. It never has been my goal to explore getting a high, much less go on a mind-altering trip. However, what started out as an alternative medicine exploration in CBD turned into a nightmare bad trip that I can't get out of my being. So my wife and I have been getting into some CBD supplements the past year and have been using 50 milligram pills and gummies for nighttime relaxation before bed. Honestly, I never really feel any effect from them except maybe a slight reduction in my mind racing. Those were all well and good, but we mentioned the use of them to our more experienced friends. They are very into THC edibles, but living in Texas, they would only use them while visiting Colorado. That is, until they discovered Delta 8 THC supplements, which you can apparently buy and ship here. Our friends told us the new gummies gave a more relaxed feel, and almost high as they put it. So we ordered some to try out, and took one each last night. And yeah, I ended up in the ER, on a very bad trip. These were 25 milligram gummies, crazy low from what I read others taking for similar experiences. These hit us hard within an hour of taking them. We were trying to watch TV, but then I remember just zoning out, the TV becoming three-dimensional in the screen. I then started laughing at my dog. She was probably thinking her parents had gone bye-bye. I then remember a fast, strong wave of detachment from myself, like I was losing myself, my soul, or my consciousness, like I couldn't keep my identity intact. I felt like time had become this malleable thing, and I felt my mind slipping in and out of it. Like one minute, I was in my living room thinking, and at the same time, I was standing in the kitchen thinking about getting up off the couch to come to the kitchen. Then I would be in another part of the house unexpectedly. I started counting to myself, 1 to 10, over and over, but couldn't keep the numbers in order or would go over to like 14 for no reason. I panicked and told my wife to call 911. I truly felt like I was losing all sense of myself in terms of existing, like I was being erased. The harder I tried to fight, the more jarring the time shifts would become. I vaguely remember my wife talking to the 911 operator, and somehow, they came to the solution of my wife driving me to the ER. She was feeling high at this point too, but not having the psychotic episode. The drive to the ER was insane. At this point, I was convinced I had died, absolutely sure of it, and what amazed me was the absolute clarity of how I was experiencing it. It wasn't dreamlike, it was as though I didn't exist, but I was somehow trapped in a new afterlife version of this world. A perfect exact real place, not dreamlike. That's the best way I can describe it. And as I would look around, my mind would time shift and I'd be in different places and times at once. I would be talking to my wife and there would be the strange delay. Sometimes I would say something in my mind and she would hear it other times I'd open my mouth and say something. And minutes later I'd ask her if I had said the same thing. Her responses always felt delayed and I forget saying it. Lots of, I love you and take care of my son and I'm sorry if I wasn't better. I was convinced it was my last moment in this existence. Eventually we make it to the ER. She was admittedly struggling to drive and in hindsight, the 911 operator should have caught on to us saying we both took the gummies and not let us drive. But we did safely get there and she dropped me off at the door, which then made me think she abandoned me. At this point, I was shaking uncontrollably, and thankfully, the ER was not busy. 
so they quickly helped me. I just remember saying I was there for a mental check. Somehow I gave my info and then I kept calling my wife making sure she didn't leave me. I started to think that maybe we both died. I honestly thought at one point with the elections being so polarizing that someone had bombed my city and we were both dead in the afterlife. I just kept saying, well, I guess this is the end. Luckily, my wife was just parking the car and came back in. At some point, I was getting my vitals checked and I started to explain to the doctor in some sort of Star Trek episode terminology about my time-skipping sensation. He just laughed and said it'll clear up in eight hours or so. And strangely, all that time shift sensation felt eternal, like I had passed through eons of time and space. But when I check real clocks in the world, they were always accurate in showing real time past. The doctors left me in a curtained exam area, and again, I started panicking about my wife. I just remember peeking my head out and staring down a female nurse or doctor until I eventually said, I'm not sure why I'm here. Can you find my wife? A nurse came by and gave me an Ativan to calm down. We eventually got my discharge paperwork and somehow made it back home. I am still convinced I'm dead at this point. I keep saying my mouth is super dry and as no one is giving me water, it convinced me more that I am dead. Back home, I crawl into bed and just keep tripping out until I fall asleep. When I awoke this morning, I just had this haze over everything. It was like everything I knew about my existence was a lie, if that makes sense. It is slowly fading now, about five hours since I woke up, but that feeling of thinking I was dead, of feeling myself disappear and shifting through time, it has drastically changed everything I thought about the universe. I don't know, I kinda believe I saw the other side for real. How do you cope with your understanding of the universe blowing up? Dose, 450 milligrams, a couple days after a 900 milligram dose. Setting, college dorm, city campus, rainy night. Mindset, awful, broke up with my girlfriend the night before, was still half in denial. Aside from spending time with her, I had been generally bored with life and depressed for some time. Didn't know what to do with myself, desperately wanted to sleep, but couldn't. Drug experience beforehand. Three or four years of regular pot smoking, tried salvia once, mushrooms once, hydrocodone twice, and the previous summer took high doses of DXM as frequently as three times a week, until I couldn't keep it down anymore. That only took three months. Experience I was visiting my friend Steve at a college nearby, and we got bored and tried to find some drugs. A pretty typical night for us. I was especially up for it since things were not going well with my girlfriend and I wanted to forget about it. There was nothing around, so we decided to take some DXM for old time's sake, even though I suspected it would come right back up due to former addiction. So we went to the drugstore to find either some Coracetin or Robitussin. None there. None at the next drugstore, or the next one, amazingly. So Steve mentions Dramamine, and at this point I say, sure, whatever. We buy it and go back to read up on it. What we find is sort of frightening, but also intriguing. And we're not planning on going out, so there's no problem right? Also, we're so goddamn bored we're playing two-player card games. We each take 600 milligrams. Nothing happens for about an hour, so we take more. I took another 300 milligrams and I think Steve took another 450 based on how much was left over. And 90 minutes after the first dose, we get dizzy. Similar to DXM but with less euphoria, if any. Definite mental confusion but clear vision and sound so far. I can't walk straight so I sit the hell down. 
For about two hours after that, Steve was seeing shadowy figures around the room, like mosquitoes inside the microwave, spiders on the wall, etc. But since I didn't see them, he knew it was just the drug. We just sat around evaluating the effects and playing cards. I had some slight movement in the periphery and nothing else. We both got very tired around three hours in and had to lie down. We were exhausted but couldn't fall asleep. It was incredibly frustrating. Steve kept saying, what? He must have said what 30 times over the next hour because he thought I had just said something, which I hadn't. I wanted to sleep so badly. Later, while I was still lying down, he was seeing his dog in the room and didn't realize it was a hallucination until later. Finally, the exhaustion passed and we sobered up. I was disappointed but took the remaining pills home with me. There were 9 or 450 milligrams. The next day, I broke up with my girlfriend officially. We had gone away to separate colleges, sort of agreeing not to have a long-distance relationship, but having one anyway. Then she met someone, and after a few weeks of denying it, I just gave up. She still wanted to be friends, which only made it more depressing. So here's where the real nightmare begins. I took the breakup really hard, and the following night around 8pm, I took the rest of the Dramamine. It was only half of the disappointing dose I had taken before, but I would have taken anything to get my mind off the ex-girlfriend. There was a hallucination about four hours before this dose, on no drugs, presumably residual from the first dose. However, by the time I took the second dose, I had completely forgotten about it, or just didn't care. I think I was still out of it from the first dose when I took the second dose, two days later, which will explain why a lower dose had stronger effects, and the fact that I was with a friend may explain why there were no hallucinations the first time. I'll go into detail about this one at the end. Anyway, the pills were halfway down my throat when some people down the hall invited me to a meeting they were going to. It was an NRA meeting, which didn't interest me, but I just went to be social and meet the people who live near me. In the middle of the meeting, I started getting dizzy and confused. I didn't want to have to interact with anyone, so I just tried to stare straight ahead and leave quickly at the end. I walked back to my room and sat down at my desk, glad to be alone. But a few minutes later, the RA came to the door because they were doing safety inspections that week, checking the windows, fire alarms, etc. It only took a minute, but as he was leaving, he said, Hey man, have you been feeling alright lately? And that made me a little paranoid because I hadn't been feeling alright, and I was pretty intoxicated at the moment, but I just told him I broke up with my girlfriend and I was alright. He said okay and gave me a paper to sign for the inspection. I didn't even read it, but as I was signing it, I saw the words, cocaine in a small plastic bag, handwritten at the top. I can't explain why I didn't ask him about it. I'd never even tried coke, let alone had any in my possession. But I did have alcohol hidden in my room, I was underage, and I wanted him gone, so I just signed and he left. On this drug, one can ignore things that seem impossible. After he left, I remembered that I had a party the previous night, and some of the people there had some coke. I wasn't sure who or when exactly. It was as if I just knew about the party. In retrospect, I think this was a vivid dream from the previous night, which, in my mentally confused state, I couldn't distinguish from a real memory. I was a little worried about the repercussions of what had just happened with my RA, but he hadn't said anything, so I figured it would just go away. Just then, the phone rang. It was my mom. She just called to say hi, but she also asked if I was alright. It surprised me because I didn't realize I was outwardly depressed, but I said I was fine, and we got off the phone. Next thing I know, I hear my RA's voice out in the hallway, telling someone that there was a lot of illegal shit in here. 
I think, oh great, here they come to bust me after all. And I wait for them to come in, but they don't. Instead, I hear my family coming down the hallway. My dad sounds agitated, and he never gets agitated. Keep in mind, my mother had just called me from six hours away, but her voice was outside my door. That magic transportation didn't occur to me at all. I don't remember seeing them enter the room, but next thing I know, my mother is lying on the bed. She told me she had been sedated, and I assumed that she had heard I was taking drugs and had freaked out. I didn't even consider who had sedated her or who carried her in the room. She was groaning and lying on her face. Then I see my dad, perched in my desk chair-like. This is the best way for me to describe how I perceived him, I swear. A super intelligent monkey who had gone insane and was about to snap and go on a rampage. His eyes were bugged out and his skin was almost black and was keeping some kind of psychotic watch over my mother. Then, she managed to mumble that, when they're alone, my dad is always like this and he tortures her. In reality, my dad is extremely relaxed and agreeable. My younger sisters were also in the room and although I didn't look at them, I sensed they were thoroughly bored with the whole thing. I also had the feeling that we were all waiting for someone to come in and tell us something and that I wasn't allowed to leave. At this point, around 11 p.m., it hits me that not only am I in big trouble with the school, but I might even go to jail, and even if I don't, I don't want to go home because my parents are obviously completely dysfunctional. I've forgotten that I even took pills by this point, and I'm trying to decide what to do. I look over at my mother, and her back looks strange, so I lean in, and suddenly, she becomes a pillow. Despite this, the hallucination continues. I really believe what another report said about dimenhydrinate suppressing short-term memory. I lean away and she's there again, as real as anything, seriously. These people I saw look strange, not to mention the way my mother was lying. I would have been sitting on her legs, but I wasn't any less sure that they were there. Then things get even weirder. I notice a small chubby man hiding in my clothes hamper. I just see his red face peeking out the top, and I look over at my computer and the side is taken off and the hard drive is missing. I figure my hard drive is being read now somewhere, and things start to feel even more serious. I wonder what exactly was found in here. I hear voices of men in the hallway, but can't make out what they're saying. Finally, someone comes in and starts reading from some papers he's holding. He tells me on such and such day, I search for pornography on the internet, and I think, what the hell, who cares? But he goes on and on, reading emails and AIM conversations, and I start thinking that there's going to be a trial, and I'm going to be made out to be some kind of sicko, and I'll be locked up forever. So I get to the point where I'm so shocked, angry, and creeped out that I decide to leave. I walked out in the hallway and looked into the next room and saw two guys in suits, one on a laptop and one sorting through papers, as if there's a whole team working on this. So I think, holy shit, I'm getting out of here. I go back to get my wallet and ID. My parents are there, but I ignore them, and I see the guy in the clothes hamper looking at me. He's wearing a turban, by the way. I think, man, I really need someone to talk to, so I say, hey, how's it going, to my clothes hamper. He just sort of listens as I start to complain about everything that's happening and how unfair it is. I start to feel like this guy is my friend, so I say, Hey, you're not the judge by any chance, are you? He shakes his head. Then I feel bad for only talking about myself, and I ask him about his family, but he doesn't say anything. I say out loud, What the hell am I gonna do? He smiles and says, Look under my hat. This all still seems very plausible to me, and very real. So I think, okay, there must be something under his hat that will help me make sense of all this. I walk over and take the hat off. 
but I can't find the inside of it. It unravels. It's just a towel. I look at his head, and there's a pair of underwear where his brain should be. I'm really confused, and I pick up his head, and it's just a pair of red pajama pants. The whole thing is just clothes, but a second ago it was moving and talking to me. Then I notice my family is gone, so I go back into the hall and I still hear voices. I close my door and decide to go find one of my friend's rooms and hide in there until everything blows over. When I get there, I knock on the door. It's about 1am now, but no one answers. I try to wake him up without drawing attention to myself, but no luck. So I go down to the lobby of the building and peek out slowly, as if the city's entire police force will be waiting for me, but there's no one there. At this point, it seems like that the hallucinations would be over, and I start to figure out what had happened. But then I hear my dad's voice coming out of the elevator, telling me how much trouble I'll be in when I get home. So I figure I'm only being expelled, again, ignoring the inconsistency, and I decide just to run away. So I go outside in sandals and a t-shirt at 1am in November in the northeastern United States, in the rain, to run away on foot. I hear my parents behind me, and now turn around and see them again, but I just keep walking quickly. The sound of them fades away, so I figure I'm losing them, but at this point, I start to see police cars parked everywhere, and every once in a while, a badge will gleam in the moonlight from behind a tree or some bushes. Now I realize that there are police everywhere, and I wonder why they're hiding and not approaching me. I think maybe it's because my hands are in my pockets. They think I'm armed. Doesn't make sense either. I keep walking and the cops follow me. I hear them shuffling along and keep seeing them hiding, watching me. I walk up past the frat houses and keep going until I don't know where I am. My hands and feet are freezing. I went through a bad neighborhood, but no one was out. Probably because there were cops everywhere, I thought, and I was so cold I decided I had to get somewhere familiar, so I made a loop back home. On the way back, I start to see my parents hiding with police, and I hear my dad saying, Watch out, he might run. I think it's strange that I can see and hear them hiding and waiting. It's like a cat going up to a mouse and just politely opening its mouth. So whenever I see them, I simply cross the street. Finally, I'm so cold and tired that I stop on the steps of the music building and sit down, curled up, just wanting to be caught. I see officers in the windows of the music building and creeping up behind bushes, so I just empty my pockets and hold my hands out and wait. I can see my family across the street. No one comes for 20 minutes. I pick up my things and walk back home, figuring if they don't want to catch me, I'm going the fuck inside. I get to my building and sign on a computer in the lobby. Steve is the only person online and I tell him what's happening, without mentioning the Dramamine, which like I said, I've forgotten. He doesn't consider it either, just can't believe what's happening. We hang up and I sit in the laundry room for another half an hour with my hands behind my head, reading the paper, still seeing cops creeping up behind things. It wasn't until I saw two real cops who walked by and ignored me, that I even considered it might have been a hallucination. I cautiously went back to the room to find everything in its right place, about 2.30am, six and a half hours later, and was so confused that I called home. If they answered, it meant I was tripping, and I'd be relieved. They answered, and I told them the whole thing. I felt like an idiot for days afterward, and worried that I would never be the same, but I recovered completely. Had some shimmering in the periphery for a few days though, especially against light backgrounds. Here's what happened that afternoon, which somehow, I totally disregarded. I was reading, or doing some work, or something, at my desk. I glanced up at the open door, and hiding behind my door, against the wall, I saw a little girl. 
She was standing still with no emotion in her face, just looking at me. It was a little creepy, especially since her entire body, including her head, was in the shape of a large narrow triangle. Her eyes were at the very top, and she had thin red hair that came down along the sides of her triangular head to where her shoulders would be if she had any, and her mouth extended across her entire face and was a straight horizontal line. Then her dress continued down the widening triangle, and just at the bottom I could see her shoes poking out. I figured, for some reason, that she had been running from something in the hall and ducked in here to hide, so I'd figured she's been through enough, and I left her alone and went about my business, looking over every now and then to see if she was still there. Finally, after what seemed like an hour, I got up and very slowly walked over to her. I said hello, but there was no answer. When I got there, I saw that she was a towel on a hook. I touched it in disbelief and then put it down and continued going about my business. I didn't even bother thinking about it or telling anyone. I say, don't take Dramamine recreationally, ever. Unless you're already a paranoid schizophrenic, I have no history of mental illness by the way, and you feel you can use some more imaginary friends, or if you'd like to see your city hire more cops, or if your laundry is unsympathetic enough to you. Frankly, if I was your underwear, I'd expect you to sympathize with me. Some friends of mine and myself had been turned on to 5-MeO-DMT for the first time while on vacation in San Francisco. Upon our return to LA, my friends invested in a quantity of it, for personal use and also to share with friends. We are all experienced travelers and had glowing first encounters with the substance. We gathered at the home of a friend with the group to share the love. The person who had ordered the 5-MeO-DMT had purchased a digital scale, though its smallest unit of measurement was 0.01 grams. He took three doses over the course of a week, and by the time of this event, was very comfortable with his ability to measure a proper dose, assumed to be 0.01 grams. There were six people in the group taking the drug that day. I was busy with homework and was occupied in another room, though I did stop in to check on the gang at one point early in the encounter. They were set up in a circle in the host's bedroom, which was small but comfortable. My boyfriend, who had used it before, went first, followed by the first-timers. Only three more people would do it that day. The first two people to go had positive experiences. I left the room when my friend G was having his dose loaded into the pipe. A few minutes later, I was disturbed by a commotion from upstairs. A banging sound, followed by elevated voices. I then heard my boyfriend come downstairs and call 911. Immediately, I dropped my things and went upstairs. I have been very lucky in that, in my several years of drug use, few of my friends have been in what I would call real danger. I have seen people lose consciousness, and I have talked people down from some fairly bad acid experiences, but I have never seen any reaction as violent as this. G had moved from a sitting position on the bed to a flailing half-fetal position, close to falling on the floor. His eyes were bugged, his face red, and he was making groaning noises. His breathing had become shallow and halting shortly after taking his hit, and shortly thereafter, he retched and vomited. The vomit contained more than a little blood, which hung in strings from his face and slicked the floor. His breathing was labored at this point, aided by his girlfriend R, who had put her fingers in his mouth to prevent him from biting his tongue. The whole time she was encouraging him to keep breathing and telling him that she loved him, he shook and twitched, totally unresponsive. She managed to get her fingers out of his mouth and replace them with the jewel case. 
Then the screaming began. At this point, he was almost in a pile on the floor. He began to twitch and kick violently, and R lost her grasp. At this point, we grabbed him and pinned his limbs to the bed, waiting for the paramedics to come. I grabbed his left arm and really had to hold on to keep his thrashing contained. His eyes were wide open, and he let forth these long, drawn-out primal screams. I have never seen anything like it. It wasn't quite terror, but it was pretty scary to the people watching. Though he was quite red in the face, at least he had found the breath to yell with. Shortly thereafter, we heard sirens approaching. I went downstairs to greet the paramedics and explain the situation. Convulsing, vomiting blood, screaming, and unresponsive to his name. I didn't go back upstairs, but it was about 5-10 to 10 minutes before G had his arms draped across a paramedic on each side and exited the building on his own two feet. Needless to say, everyone was relieved. Later, G felt great. He came home from the emergency room and recorded a bit with his band later that evening. Geez, you guys, he said. A little bit of convulsing and you call 911? You're a bunch of weenies. He was kidding, but he really felt great. His experience, apparently, was not at all negative. He relayed space journeys and encounters with elves that are his story to tell, not mine. The night before all this happened, G had spent several hours drinking alcohol. He also snorted an unknown quantity of MDMA. His stomach was empty except for some Sammy, a supplement, and two bananas. The pipe had been passed between three people before it came to him and may have contained residue from the prior hits, making his dose higher than average. What did I take from all this? I'm looking forward to taking 5-MeO again in the future, but it is something that I will never do alone. I advise all people, especially if this is their first time, to be respectful of their body before ingesting this or any other heavy psychoactive chemical. Don't drink the night before. Wait a few weeks between doses of this and any other drug. Eat lightly and stay hydrated. G later compared his experience to taking a cosmic voyage and forgetting to leave the life support on. Though he has said he would do it again in the future, he is grateful for our assistance and knows how easily he could have been hurt. It is very essential to add antihistamines to the list of control factors. The ingestion of an over-the-counter antihistamine, Benadryl, which was the only control factor not shared by others during the experience, and the unnatural dilation of the bronchial tubes may have contributed to or caused a negative experience. Please, be careful. I had the craziest experience of my life, and to this day, I cannot figure it out. My friends refuse to talk about it. Until recently, I thought the whole trip lasted about 12 hours, from 5pm when I drank the tea, to about 5 in the morning. But after finally getting my friends to talk a little, I was out of it for more than 3 days. It's amazing I wasn't in the hospital. The only way I know I wasn't in the hospital or police custody was because obviously if that had happened, there would have been consequences when I came to. How did this all start? I was reading about Detura more than a year before the actual trip because I was obsessed with the idea of hallucinating but couldn't get anyone to sell me mushrooms. And while on a walk with my dog, I realized that at the back of someone's driveway, right on a main road, I was actually seeing a Detura stromonium plant. I kept it in the back of my mind and went back the next year in August to find the plant flowering with spiky seed pods almost ripe. 
I was wearing cargo pants and had brought scissors, so I just carefully trimmed off five or six two to three foot branches, stuck the branches in my pockets and took it all home, and clipped it into bits that I left to dry on top of a fluorescent light. The material included a lot of beautiful flowers, about 15 seed pods, and probably two pounds of stems. It took about three weeks for the plant material to actually dry all the way through, especially the woody stems. Then one Friday night after school, I think it was the week before homecoming, I had a friend over, a guy I liked, and other people kept stopping by. I'd planned in advance to make a little tea to try that night, and the friend was just there by coincidence. I remember standing over the stove carefully stirring the liquid, chopping the plant material with a stainless steel spoon, and giggling maniacally every time someone came in and asked what the heck I was doing. I added about a half a pound of material and an even amount of leaves, stems, and dried flowers to one quart of liquid. When I stained it, the plant material looked like a washed out spinach and the tea was dark golden brown with a very fruity but bitter smell. I put the used plant material in a bowl in the fridge for later and continued to boil down the liquid. That took about two hours. All the while, I kept getting chills of anticipation and having a great time talking to my friend. Finally, the tea was done. I poured most of it into a thick plastic water bottle, which I stowed in the back of the fridge, but poured half a coffee cup worth for myself. I was really scared, terrified, but I mastered my fear, and I remember saying, Cheers. I'm in your hands now, universe. Looking back, I shouldn't have drank that much, but I did. And the last thing I really remember is drinking the bitter grassy tea, then my friend who I'll call M, asking if I wanted to go for a ride with him, getting in the car, and then riding around. Next thing I knew, I was in a strange car in the back seat, in the dark, parked in front of someone's house. I thought I was alone at first. Then it dawned on me that we were dropping M off at his house. Though who we were, I don't know. Then I freaked out because I didn't want him to go and try to follow him out of the car onto the lawn, but he disappeared. Then my friend who I thought was M, but looking back seemed like a stranger, told me, Come on, we're walking now, we've got to walk, as though he just magically appeared again. And then I felt deja vu and I asked, Where are we going? And I didn't get an answer and kept on a whole conversation with this person. Everything was so vividly real and seemed normal but also not. Like the boogeyman could jump out at any minute and I'd shake his hand. I remember being cold and hesitant. My body was jerky as though my whole being was stuttering and the streetlight seemed bright and we were walking into the dark and that scared me. My body didn't seem to want to follow my commands. I walked in the dark with this person on my right for what seemed like a really long time, but I don't remember going anywhere. Just cool darkness and blurs of light. The next thing I remember is walking up to a house where this one guy lived with my friend B and her friend Gina, and it was night still. I thought the same one. We knocked on the door, and apparently this guy was waiting for his parents to get home, or someone was sleeping, so he had to be really quiet, and I remember tiptoeing in and it was the funniest thing on the planet. Then things started to get weird. I think I was coming down, but I was really freaked out and I was sitting talking to them. But it must have been gibberish and I felt really self-conscious, but things seemed okay. I had a big shock. I remember a dark shape passing in front of me across the house and for some reason all the lights were out. I got scared and started to stand, but a random hand goes over my mouth because I was about to call out and a loud shh came out of her mouth. 
and she pushed me down to sit on the floor, and she was just forcing her hand over my mouth and holding me down. I felt there was a good reason for her doing that, so I gave in and did as she directed. Then she released me, and that seemed really funny. Then we moved into a bedroom with the biggest bed and a TV playing and a fish tank. I laid on the bed and watched the fish tank, and the next thing I know, I realize I'm trying to convince everyone in the room, four people, to save the rats that are drowning in the fish tank, and I shut my mouth because I realized that there were no rats. I remember asking what time it was, and apparently I'd asked that many times, and my friends got angry with me, so I started crying and I said I was sorry. Next thing I know, I lost a cigarette, and I don't even smoke. I remember asking them to help me find it because I was panicked it would burn the place down. My friends then passed me a bowl of weed and my friend B held the pipe and my head because apparently I'd already burnt myself twice on the pipe so she just told me to inhale. I kept going in and out of some strange state. Finally, it was time to go. I think we'd been at that house till about 5 in the morning and I got into a car. Whose? I'm not sure. After climbing out of the guy's bedroom window with my friends and getting home, I was really tired. I went to bed with the worst dry throat after peeing what seemed like a flood and finally felt a little better. I saw my room, my whole room, and I kept getting startled awake realizing I was looking around and seeing things with my eyes closed. I'd open them and not be able to focus on anything. My room is lit with a backlight, it's my nightlight, so everything was purple, but just dim enough not to hurt my eyes, and my sight with my eyes closed was crystal clear, but I couldn't see anything with my eyes open, it was all dark and blurry. I slept most of the day, which for a weekend wasn't unusual, and then I woke up to my mom coming home at about 9pm, what the clock said, it was hard to read but I made it out, and she asked me if I'd done my homework. She worked most of the weekend and was gone a lot. I have no idea if I was home or not, but apparently it was already Monday and the three-day weekend was over, so I had to be at school in the morning. That was the first real thing that happened, I think. I reeked. There was dirt under my fingernails. I was greasy and needed a shower. My head hurt from my eyes still being so dilated, and I felt very twitchy. My favorite jacket that I'd worn had a pocket torn off. Somehow, I smelled like beer, and my shoes were really muddy. The only thing that I actually found out was that the guy whose house me, my friend B, and her friend Gina were at actually happened, and he came up to me and asked, Are you okay now? To which I answered, Yes, and he said, Good, don't ever do that again. I was about ready to kick you out of my house. He just walked away when I asked what happened. So that scared me. I was ashamed I was a burden to my friend. Looking back years later, I don't know what I was thinking, but I believed all that happened in one day for months, and then finally started to figure out some bits and pieces. I don't know what happened, probably don't want to. Everything was so real, it was like I was taken to a whole different world where everything could happen. All my feelings were fleeting and transient, so at least my fear was intense, but not overwhelming. An interesting note. Apparently I was home at some point, and I made myself a Datura omelet with the leftover plant I'd boiled to make tea, which I puked all over my bedroom floor, but my friend B cleaned it up. She hinted about that for years and finally told me. Something that really scared me was a girl I'll call T who hinted I'd stop by school during the weekend while she was having band practice in the gym, but if that were true, nah. There have also been hints that I started a fire somewhere, but I don't have any memory. 
though I did have burns on my hands. I think it was from a weed pipe, though. I may do this again if I can find another Datura plant and some sober people to keep me inside my house safe and sound for as long as it takes. The Datura plant I used before was gone within a few months. I think the people who owned the property caught on to what it was, or they were just tired of it blocking the front of their car. Well, it all started in February when my friend and I started using diphenhydramine recreationally. We had heard that it makes you hallucinate, and we had read experiences. We stopped using DXM temporarily to make room for DPH. The first time, I took 25 tablets of Benadryl, 625 milligrams. The second, I took only 22 tablets, 550 milligrams. The third time, I took 30 tablets, 750 milligrams. And this time, the fourth time, the last time, I took 30 again. It was a week after spring break. I got home from my girlfriend's house at about 11.20 p.m. I called my friend over and we slowly downed the little pink pills. We did this in my room since it had a lock and my parents are quite nosy. I took 30 and he took 36. He weighs a bit more than me though, so it was about even. I started my stopwatch as soon as we downed the first set of 10. We had all the pills down as my stopwatch passed the 6 minute mark. We had also consumed 2 cokes each. As crazy as it may sound, a minute after I had all the pills down, I swear I started hallucinating. A hardcover book appeared to be bending in the corner of my eye. I didn't tell this to my friend because he'd think I was stupid, which at times I am. We went for a walk as my stopwatch approached 10 minutes. We disposed all the boxes and wrappers by dumping them in my neighbor's trash can. We slowly walked back to my house. We both started shaking and shivering as it was only March and still a bit chilly out. As we approached my house, I noticed the downstairs lights were on. I yelled, oh shit, and we started running towards the house. Surely my mother was downstairs. I told her we just went for a walk and we were fine and to go back to bed. I noticed my voice was becoming extremely light and weak. It was on the verge of a whisper. Once she got back to bed, I was much relieved. My friend and I started playing Medieval Total War, the best game ever. I honestly don't remember it too well, but he says we did. I turned on some low soft rock music on Winamp. I told him we should lay down until the shock of the DPH left. I actually just wanted to sleep. My voice had turned into a whisper by now, and my body felt like it weighed about 600 pounds. We pulled the futon out from against the wall and extended it into a bed. We decided not to sleep longitudinally on the bed, since we were both very straight. We slept laterally with our legs protruding a good two feet from the side of the bed. I grabbed a few blankets and threw them on us, and my friend used my beanbag as a footrest. My state of mind was in a word, chaotic. Waves of opposing emotions overwhelmed my psyche, fatigue, apathy, paranoia, and feminism. I checked my stopwatch. An hour had passed since we consumed the pills. The lights were off so I didn't get to notice any open eye hallucinations. My stomach started to ache with a sharp, pulsating sensation. I noticed I could evade the pain by taking deep, slow breaths. In my mind, I thought I would puke if I stopped breathing slowly and deeply. I felt my heart in complete tachycardia. It was like a bass drum being beaten by an obese boxer from southern Kentucky. 
Insane as that may sound, those were the exact words that came through my head. I checked my watch again. Six hours elapsed. That can't be right, I thought. I checked it again. Hello. My watch was talking to me. It didn't strike me as a hallucination, but simply as the way things were. No matter what time it was, I had to pee. I would have stayed and talked to the watch, but all that would have come out would be a whisper, and the effort it would have taken would force me into a coma. I slowly stood up. Now I no longer felt heavy. I felt like I was hovering. I had set my glasses by the computer. I walked slowly around the beanbag and put on my glasses. I opened the door and hovered to the bathroom. When I finally arrived in my bathroom, I turned on the lights and began to piss. It kept coming out. It kind of stung, but I wasn't about to complain. I noticed that we now had a black fish in our toilet bowl. It swam aimlessly about inside the toilet. I tried pissing directly at it, but it must have taken it the wrong way. It flipped out into the sink. I finished pissing and walked to the sink. It was so real. The fish was still in it, grasping for water. I turned on the faucet to let it breathe. After about 10 seconds, it turned into a very small maple tree that got sucked down the drain. I thought my plumber is going to be pissed about this. I washed my hands and returned to my computer room. I suppose somewhere in my head I knew a black fish could not live in a toilet, nor could it turn into a small maple and be swallowed by my sink. Perhaps it only happened because it was impossible. Perhaps my subconscious awareness of the bounds of reality provoked this visual manifestation. Whatever the cause, it freaked me out. I didn't realize it was a hallucination until I re-entered the computer room and took off my glasses and went back to sleep. Well, I wasn't really sleeping, but that's what I'm calling it. Throughout the night, I continued making voyages to the bathroom and being confronted by open-eye hallucinations such as ants and spiders swarming out of my vents, a gecko on the mirror, and a threat note posted on the bathroom door. It was a strange feeling, having to pee constantly, but never being able to do so in peace. My friend announced he was leaving. I looked at my watch. It was 10 in the morning. I said goodbye and walked upstairs. I had to go to a church trip at noon. I walked into the kitchen looking for food. My mom came and told me we needed to talk. I was worried to say the least. I couldn't tell if I was still messed up or not. We wound up sitting on a couch in my upstairs living room. My mother opened the conversation with, How much Benadryl did you take last night? I answered with none, but she looked at me like, What the hell are you talking about? She hadn't asked me a thing, but I heard it. I heard the question I didn't want to hear and answered it. She disappeared straight in front of my eyes. I got scared. I looked at my watch again. 9.30. Oh shit. I'm still hallucinating. It was just 10. I looked at the wall clock which has large numbers. Hard to mistake. It was 5.30 in the fucking morning. Maybe my parents were never talking to me. Maybe I can go downstairs and sleep. I got up and made my way downstairs. I never made it. I wound up outside. My parents got me and started yelling at me. My mom forced my dad to take me to the hospital. I told them I was fine, but she insisted. To say the least, the ride to the hospital felt like years. Seriously, years. No exaggeration. It only took about 17 minutes in reality, but I was no longer in reality. In the waiting room, I asked for some water because the dry mouth was setting in. My dad got me an Aquafina. 
I drank a sip and choked on it. I couldn't swallow. I spit it back in the bottle and set it down. I told him I couldn't swallow. Suddenly, I was back in my house. I was in my computer room. My mom came down and told me to get back to the hospital. Shit, I'm dreaming. I awoke and I was still at the hospital. I longed to get back to bed with my parents' ignorance, but I was lying back down on a hospital bed with needles in me and sensors all over my body. I saw many hallucinations at the hospital since it was well illuminated with fluorescent bulbs and great windows. At one point, I thought I was in Davenport. It was a horrible trip, and I can't wait until we get the hospital bill. It wasn't even that much fun. No, it wasn't any fun. The only reason I did it was to get hallucinations, which scared the fuck out of me. I still hallucinate today, although this was nine weeks ago. Just small things, of course. I plan to pick up DXM again sometime this summer. I will never do diphenhydramine again. It sucked. Anyways, good luck to all the trippers and druggies. Keep it real and keep it safe. Time governs us all. It was a normal Friday. I was hanging with some friends in my room. We called up our dealer, but he was out. We couldn't find a hook for a sack, so we went mobbing around. We walk around downtown looking for stoners asking for Bud. We eventually ran into an overweight Mexican guy who offered to sell us an eighth for $20. We pay him and he hands us a bag of the shittiest looking nugs ever. They were compressed to hell and barely smelled. I figured for the price it was not worth debating, so we took it. We go back to my place and I pack a bowl. Whenever I smoked, I always liked to smoke a huge amount in one hit, so I broke up a nug and packed a fat bowl. As I was lighting it, I noticed a strange hue in the smoke color. It seemed a bit yellow. It was harsh on the lungs, but not surprising for low-quality cannabis. I snapped the bowl and exhaled. The most horrible taste overcame my mouth. It was so bad I gagged and almost threw up. There was a burning feeling in my throat with a strong chemical taste, similar to the drip from a snorted pill. Instantly I knew something was wrong with the bud. A few minutes later I began to feel extremely relaxed. I was breathing very slowly and I felt like my brain was being massaged. It was amazing. At this point, I knew it was laced. I tell my friends M and J that it's laced and that I am feeling really good. My friends were shocked and didn't believe me. They both took a hit at the same time, considerably smaller hits than what I took. They both said they did not feel any effects from it. Lucky for them, at this point, everything started to get uncomfortable. I had the scariest, strangest feeling inside of me, like an extreme amount of energy building up, but it was uncomfortable and scary. I looked around and everything seemed evil. I had a Slayer poster on my wall. It was a silver eagle with crossed swords, with blood dripping off the sword. When I looked at the poster, the blood on the tips of the swords were dripping. Blood started dripping from the poster, dripping down the wall. I looked away in disgust at the horrific visual. When I looked back, the entire wall had blood smeared all over it. I felt a wave of anxiety and fear wash over me. I closed my eyes and started crying, repeating, Please no. My friends were scared at this point at what was going on, and what they did next sent my trip to hell.
They said they had to go. It was a bullshit excuse. I knew it. They just didn't want to have to babysit me. They take half the weed and leave. As soon as they leave and close the door in my room, a cold, lonely feeling overcomes me. I stumble to my bed and lay down. My heart was beating very slow and it was scaring me. I decided to go outside and get some air, try and get the blood moving. I go out to my front porch and sit down. I see my mailman approach my house. He walks towards my mailbox, then sees me sitting on the porch and decides to bring it to me. As he approaches me, he says, Beautiful day we're having. I look at his face and he is smiling. His smile starts to twist and turn, and his smile expands all the way up his face like a cartoon clown. He looked at me with the horrible smile, then tilted his head, opened his mouth, and started screaming. I jump out of my seat and just watch in horror as he is standing there screaming at me. The scream was raspy and horrific, and he held it for the longest time. I ran into my house, into my room, and slammed the door. I started to feel a bit more relaxed now that I was in the safety of my room. I start praying, hoping for an escape, but the visuals only got worse. My walls start melting, and everything has a fuzzy outline. I was having intense visuals, but these were more psychedelic than they were scary. I sat there on my bed and just watched the visuals. The walls stop melting for a second, then explode and jump out towards me continuously. I started crying, completely mentally confused about what is happening. My mom came home and heard me crying. She came into my room and saw my eyes completely red and me sobbing with my hands covering my face. I see her, run towards her, and hug her as hard as I can. I start uncontrollably crying holding her. She knew about my drug problem and instantly knew what was going on. She asked me what I took. I tried to talk, but I couldn't formulate an understandable sentence. She took me into her room and handed me three pills, which she told me were tranquilizer sleeping pills. I swallow them. I then lay in my mom's bed, and she is comforting me while I lay face down. This was my last conscious memory. I awoke in the morning, still on my mom's bed. I was hoping I would forget about the experience after I blacked out, but I remembered everything. After that episode, I was thrown into a deep depression. I was mentally off for weeks afterwards and have still not recovered from the trip. I had heard from a mutual friend that Huffing Freon could produce a very good but short-lasting buzz. After learning and studying on how to retrieve the Freon from air conditioners, my best friend and I tried it. It is sweet and it tastes almost like honey. We were huffing in our party barn with hardwood floors and a pool table. I took in about four huffs the first time and handed the bag to my friend. I started to almost feel as if I was falling asleep and sought the nearest chair. As I awoke from what seemed to be an hour-long trip, I saw my friend crawling around like a dog and I found myself laughing. Well, we both sobered up and I tried it again. This time, I was leaning against the pool table and kept huffing and huffing, telling my friend to grab the bag when I closed my eyes. The last thing I remember is my face bouncing off the side of the pool table. I woke up in an ear-piercing scream that seemed to be coming from my mouth, and to my surprise, it was. Laying stomach down on the hardwood floor, my chin propped up. 
I couldn't move. It was as if I had lost all control over my muscles. My friend came over and tried to help me up. When he touched me, I screamed in bloody murder. All in all, I had huffed about 10 to 15 hits, we think, and passed out slamming into the pool table on my travels downward and then onto the floor. I broke my neck and I now have nerve damage for the rest of my life. Unless you're a complete dumbass, please do not do this stuff. If you're looking for a cheap high, just forget Freon. It's a bad scene.